Coming up today on Grow in Grace. What is it that you seek? What do you seek for your life? What is it that seems important to you to have meaning in your life? What is missing in your life that you need so that it would have the significance you want it to have? A powerful question. Philosophers call it the ontological question. Who am I? Where am I going? Why am I here? What is it that's important to me? Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Hey, it's a delight to be with you today as we continue through the New Testament. Today on Grow in Grace, we uncover what's most important in life. Now, while some think it's bound up in riches and fame, the truth is it's Jesus. And the sooner you come to realize and embrace that, the better off you'll be. We take you to John chapter 1 today and we'll emphasize verses 35 to 51. Here's Pastor Ed Ray posing the question, what are you seeking in your life? John writes again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour, it's about four in the afternoon. Now, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone, or Petros in the Greek. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, he said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Doesn't quite have that right, son of God, but he's close. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him. He said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said, Because I said this, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God who reveals himself, who has left word for us so that we might understand your heart. Speak to us now, we ask. Cause us to grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We had a great baptism service. You were there, you know that. One of the ladies who was baptized sent this to me. She had gone to a baptism down at the beach at the ocean a little while back, and I don't know who was doing the baptism. All I know is she sent this to me. The five top signs that you are at a bad baptism service. Number one, the Coast Guard is involved. <laughs> the pastor is wearing scuba gear. You keep hearing the pastor say, oops, sorry, sister, I didn't know about that drop-off. <laughs> and the deacon board shows up with fishing gear. Now, I don't think that really happened, but that, she thought it was funny. She sent it to me. So in this section we're looking at, John the Baptist has been baptizing in the Jordan River. It's out in the middle of nowhere. If you go to Bethabara where he was doing it, with this, if you go with us to Israel, you can see the spot. We go to the very spot. It's like a little river running through 29 palms, you know, as hot as it is down there. Well, this is a section from the Gospel of John where he describes five disciples and how they came to Jesus, how they came to know God. And these five disciples will all become apostles. And so their story is like your story. I love to talk to you and about your testimony. I love it when people come and share with me how they found Jesus. And, you know, there's all kinds of different testimonies. We always can remember the really outrageous ones of the guy who was hell's angel with heroin tracks up his arm and, you know, played rock and roll with Led Zeppelin or something and then got saved. And those kind of stories stick with us. But the majority of you... I assume because it's that way in most of our church, were people that grew up in a Christian family or they grew up in a, a family where they were taken to church. And if I asked you when you were saved, you may say, because I've heard it a lot, well, I don't know the exact day. I just know that I went to Sunday school and then I went to vacation Bible school and then I studied the Bible in the high school group and, and I can't tell you what day. I just know that I am saved. I know that I know that I know I'm going to heaven and that Jesus has died for my sins. And that's a perfectly valid testimony. And each one of us has a little different story. And this is the story of five men who became apostles with Jesus. So these are interesting, important stories. Now, John has been baptizing for several days at the Jordan River, and he has these men who are being drawn to him. In fact, millions, some say tens of thousands, but it would appear that certainly 100,000 people had come from the north down to Bethabara. A huge amount of people were being baptized, so much so that when, years later, when Paul went to Ephesus, he found some people there that had been baptized with John. They had gone all the way to Israel to be baptized from what's modern-day Turkey. So this is where we break into the story. It breaks up into three parts. The first is two questions, 35 through 42. Then this come and see statement, it 
appears twice in this story, 43 through 46. And then greater things than these, the tantalizing statement from Jesus at the end. So this section can be a little bit confusing because the name of the man who wrote the gospel is John. And he is in this story. But John the Baptist is the second John that's doing the baptizing. So if you get confused, which John are we talking about? I'm with you. You got to kind of pay attention and it makes sense. All right, so let's jump in and see how these men came to a relationship with Jesus. Verse 35, again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. The day before, John had said to them, the Messiah is here amongst us. And they looked and they didn't see anybody that looked like a Messiah, except John himself. Because John had long hair and a big beard and he wore camel hair suits and he had a uh, penchant for eating honey with locusts. <laughs> the little locust wings stuck in his beard probably. But John had said that day when somebody asked him, he said, I am not the Messiah. And so now they were, these men who had been following John are looking for the real Messiah. So, verse 36, and looking at Jesus as he walked evidently towards John and these disciples, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Now we're familiar with that term. It is a very loaded term for a Jew because lambs were a sacrificial animal that everyone had to take of, partake of, in the Passover feast. So once a year, from all the way back 1400 BC, they were taking a lamb and bringing it into their home, and four days later, they'd sacrifice the lamb. Now, in Egypt, you'll remember, Pharaoh didn't want to let the people go. Nine times Moses told him there would be some kind of a plague. And on the 10th one, he told the people to slay a lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost, and the death angel who was coming to all the homes in Israel would pass over the homes that had the blood of the lamb on it. So when John said, here's the lamb of God, then those that were present said, this is a sacrifice that's coming here. And he's pointing to a man. Looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, verse 37. And the two disciples, two disciples of John the Baptist, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. It doesn't say that they said anything to him. They just saw the need to follow the Messiah. So Jesus turned there behind him, right? Walking quietly behind him. He turns around and seeing them following, he says, what are you seeking? What do you seek? Now, I submit to you, that's a question that each one of us is being asked by God today. What is it that you seek? What do you seek for your life? What is it that seems important to you to have meaning in your life? What is missing in your life that you need so that it would have the significance you want it to have? A powerful question. Philosophers call it the ontological question. Who am I? Where am I going? Why am I here? What is it that's important to me? 
searching question. First words that John heard from Jesus. Thanks for joining us today for our study in John chapter 1 and verses 35 through 51. Here's Pastor Ed Ray with more on Growing Grace. A lot of people are seeking relief from lots of things, health issues, sickness. Certainly in the last year and a half, so many people struggling with the COVID and various kinds of pneumonia from other coronaviruses like myself. And they come to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning because you want to pray for a friend or you yourself are sick and you're looking for God to heal you. Or maybe it's an injury. I was talking to a man after the last service who'd, who'd had an injury and he was having, like me, having trouble walking, just recovering from this injury. And he was here because he's, he, and he asked me, can Jesus heal me? Right answer. Nothing is impossible for God. What are you seeking? Maybe it's a relationship issue. You're here because there's problems in your marriage. Maybe you've given up on your marriage. Can Jesus heal your marriage? Yes, he can. And he will if you'll submit it to him. Maybe it's a struggle at your job. Maybe it's financial issues. There's just a, a whole myriad of problems that you could be here looking for. Why are you seeking? What is it that you're seeking, he says? What are you looking for? What are you expecting out of life? So answers that Andrew and John and these other men bring are different than your answer. What is it that you're seeking? He's asking. And, and they kind of are overwhelmed by it. At least it seems to me their answer was another question. Where are you staying, Master? Where are you staying? He asks you, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? But I think that they're saying, where are you going? We want to go with you. Because following becomes part of their discussion. Verse 39, Jesus said to them, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and remained there with him that day. Now, that may not seem important to you, but for Bible scholars, that last phrase, remained with him that day, answers some questions with the other disciples. Because we'll find that Jesus walks up to John and his brother James with their dad, their commercial fishermen, and days later, and he walks up and says, follow me. And they leave the boat, leave dad in the boat, leave the business. Well, that's because they spent this day with him. They know what he's about by now. And then, even stranger, now, it was about the 10th hour. Why is that important? Now, this is Roman timekeeping. It starts from sunup, like 6 in the morning. So it's about 4 in the afternoon. But the writer of this, remember, is also called John. And John is saying, that's the moment that I met Jesus. That's when I got saved at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I already said, there's a lot of folks that don't know the day or the hour or even the year that they were saved. That's not critical. 
What's critical is that you know, that you have believed and you know that you know that you know Jesus died for you. If you believe that, embrace it. That's it. That's all that it requires. It is by grace you have been saved. God's gift to all of us. Come and see, verse 40. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So there's two men there with John the Baptist. Two of them follow Jesus. Jesus turns and says, what are you seeking? One of them is Andrew. Andrew, who is a fisherman brother of Peter, who would both later become apostles. Notice John does not tell us who the other disciple is. And that's because it's John himself. And he never mentions his own name in his gospel. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's who he often refers to himself as. Do you know that about yourself? Do you realize that you are a disciple of Jesus whom he loves? Well, Pastor, God loves the whole world. No, no. He loves you personally. Yeah. With all your little quirky habits, your weird way of saying things. I don't think they're weird. I just, well, some maybe. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved is you. He loves the whole. That's a big thought, right? So when Andrew found Jesus, verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon. He went looking for the person that was closest to him, his own brother in the Lord. And he said, we found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. John keeps saying which is translated because John is writing this much after, years, 70 years after Jesus died. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels because they say basically the same thing, the birth and death and burial of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But John waited until he was 90 years old to write his gospel. He's had a lot of time to think about and the things that were really important to him are rising to the top. And he's writing in a city called Ephesus. We know that name because of the book of the Ephesians. But if you go with us on the Footsteps of Paul tour, which you all should, we go to the city of Ephesus and we walk the streets where Paul walked, where John walked, where John lived. And we actually go to the uh, site of John's tomb, at least traditional site of John the Apostle. And it's very close to the house where Mary lived because you'll remember Jesus told John to take care of his mother. And they went to Ephesus. So Ephesus is a Roman city, a Greco-Roman, Greek and Roman city. And he's writing to Greeks. And so he has to translate this. He says, we found the Messiah. What's the Messiah? If you're a Greek, you don't know. The Jewish word is Mashiach. And it, all Jews know what that is. But they didn't in Ephesus, so he translates it, the Christ, the anointed one. We have found the Messiah. Now, Andrew is talking to his brother, and they're not debating anything. It's not a complicated theology. He's not trying to convince his brother. There's, there's no lengthy explanation. 
There's no involved discussion. You just like, this is the Messiah. This is he, brother. He brought him to Jesus. So Peter comes to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Now, Peter is the only apostle that we have a ancient description of. From the second century, 180, Polycarp writes and says that Peter was a mountain of a man. So I think, you know, fullback uh, football. He's a really big guy. He's a, a commercial fisherman, and he's powerfully built. And he walks up to Jesus, and Jesus said, you've been called Simon. Now, and it's translated, he says here, stone. It's the Greek form is Petros, which is a rock. So Peter is going to be called Rocky. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Now I want you to notice that because Andrew is only mentioned two other times in the gospel. And in both of those other occasions, he also is bringing people to Jesus. He is the apostle who brought people to Jesus. In John chapter 6, they're in this deserted area near Bethsaida. You know the story. And they've been there all day, and there were several thousand people. And it's late, and Jesus said, oh, we have a bunch of people here, and they need to be fed. And the disciples said, we can't feed them. We don't have enough. Jesus said, give them what you have. And Andrew, same guy here that brought his brother, went and found the boy who had a lunch of bread and fish and brought him to Jesus. Pattern? Yes. Because the third time in John chapter 12, it says some Greeks came looking for Jesus. They're coming a long way. And they walk up to Philip and say, we, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip took them to Andrew. They told Andrew, and Andrew took them to Jesus. Wouldn't you like to be known for that in heaven? That you were the person that brought people to Jesus? That's what Andrew is known as, the apostle who brought people to Jesus. We can be that. When Jesus looked at him, he said, and you are Simon. Now, the word Simon is probably Simon, a shortened version. And it literally means hearer, one who hears. But it's not a positive thing like it sounds like in English. This is someone who listens too much to what people says, will say about you. In other words, Peter was guilty of being overly concerned about what people said of him. There's a proverb that Solomon wrote, 29, 25. The fear of man, being too concerned about what people think about you, the fear of man is the snare. It'll stumble your feet. But he who trusts in the Lord is safe. Trust in what God says about you, not what other people say. And so, Simon, I'm changing your name. You were easily moved by people's opinion. I'm going to call you the rock. You are going to become the foundation stone and anchor, a steadying force. You were wishy-washy. You were all over the place. But now you're going to be strong. God changes us when we surrender to him. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. 
You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again and find more information about the Packing House Christian Fellowship. That's thepackinghouse.org. You can also call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Chuck Smith titled, Why Grace Changes Everything. You'll discover the difference grace will make for you. It transforms our lives into something beautiful. Read all about it in this Christian classic. And we'll send it your way when you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount. You can reach us again at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. You know, and even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 